Customer Land is a podcast about customers, how to get more of them, how to keep them, what makes them tick. We talk to the experts, the technologies, and occasionally actual people, you know, customers, to find out what they're all about. So if you're a CX pro, a loyalty marketer, a brand owner and agency planner, if you're a CRM and personalization geek, if you're a customer service CSAT NPS nerd, you finally have a home. I'm Mike Giambattista. Welcome to Customer Land. If I have this right, the great retail race, new research reveals expanding disconnect between customer and retailer perceptions. And I'm just going to editorialize a moment and say, that's being really kind. <laughs> We try. I mean, yeah. we, we we do love retailers. They are they are our customers. Right, and right. They are. They, I mean, what they're trying to do. And we talked about this. It's not easy what they're trying to do. Actually, it is actually really hard. And I think I think when we all talk about it, we do have a tendency because we talk about it a lot. In fact, I think that's something you and I touched on as we were sipping coffee at an ungodly hour that was early at NRF. Right. It isn't. It is hard to do this, right? And it's hard to do this at scale. And it's hard to do this across different channels and it's hard to do it across different countries and cultures and products. And there is an awful lot of complexity that faces um, a retailer. And then, then this year, you know, you're adding the pressures of the economy in a whole different way. And, you know, people are price conscious in a way they haven't been in a while. And they really haven't. There's been, there was this nice, there was this nice boom from post COVID. A lot of retailers who thought COVID was going to be such a disaster for them did these incredibly creative things and they flipped into digital commerce in ways that they probably couldn't have imagined a couple of years right. ago and reap the benefits, both in terms of their revenue, their customer loyalty, the relationships, their customers. And then the whole world changed again this year. Right. <laughs> right. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Exactly. And, and, you know, they're, 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 they're it's not. So I do think, I do think they're struggling. I think they're struggling with so many different things and the, that balance of we've returned back to that balance of in-store again. And what is, how do you do that? How do you balance that? How do you acknowledge me as a, as the same customer who bought on the app and your website and also went in-store to try on that dress? And how do you connect that in a way that actually makes me feel that I've had a, a real experience, a personalized experience? That's hard. It's, it's really difficult. And, and I think, you know, with your platform and a few others that are out there on the market, it finally became possible to, to make a genuine omni-channel connection and engage people across all these channels. And that's only been a fairly recent development. It's always been kind of the brass ring and the ultimate goal of all these things. But, you know, it wasn't until, I don't know, just a couple of years ago, really, when you could you could assemble all these pieces to create multiple touch points. And then I think people like Marsa started figuring out, wait a second, we could assemble all this into one platform and de-complexify, I just made that word up, um, uh, tech stacks for marketers and uh, make the whole thing a lot easier. But I mean, it, so the disconnect between what, what customers think and what retailers think they're thinking, I think has always been there. I mean, it, it, okay. it's, um, and you could pick whatever realm you want, and uh, you could go spend what amounted to a small fortune on consumer research to try and figure out what your customers were thinking and feeling about one realm. But then that that kind of 
that's good for a moment in time. But it seems like what Amarsis is doing is you can drive real-time data right back to the brand and say, this is what's happening here and now. Um, it's really a byproduct of all of your marketing activities. So it's not necessarily, again, I'm making this up, but I'm assuming it's not a separate extra spend for those insights. It's basically the exhaust that comes out of all the marketing activities. It's all about putting your data to use, isn't it? And giving you, we allow you to get the most out of that data. And I think what marketers and whether they're in retail or not are challenged with, I know my team talks about this, data, lack of data is not a problem any of us face. We haven't faced that in many moons, and I don't think we ever will. But what we do face is the challenge of actually making that data work for us and really getting those insights and having them be consumable and then actually actionable. So can and and not actionable in three weeks <laughs> when the moment has passed. <laughs> right. Or worse in some yes, cases. Exactly. Or yeah. yeah. So truly actionable. And are you so that does that allow you as a marketer or as a retail marketer to talk to me as a consumer about the right thing at the right time? The way the tone, the content is just as important, the way I want to be spoken to on the channel I want you to talk to me about. So are you there when I want you to be there? Are you on mobile when I want you to be on mobile? Are you online when I want you to be online? Are you in store with all that information when I want you to be in store? Which is all and, moment sensitive. You, I mean, absolutely. you can't make those assumptions that omnichannel is everywhere all the time because, I mean, you, you tend to take a couple of steps back from genuine personalization if you approach it that way. And that's and that's what our that that's what we one of the things we would say is some of our secret sauce is we pers we we don't we don't say hey we're going to personalize to you Mike on the mobile app and then think about in a in a complete silo how we're going to personalize to you on a website and then to you in a store we think about it holistically we think about Mike as the consumer and how are we and we will talk to you across all those channels and we'll assume that's the that's what's going to happen so our personalization is agnostic in that respect. It goes across all those channels and then it and it moves hopefully with you as you move. And I think that's where the that's the secret for retailers at the moment because it's personalization which impacts the tone and the content and the product and the number of times that you interact, right? We have research that talks about how, you know, most marketers think that consumers want to hear them hear from them like three times a week. And they don't I want to take a quick break from my conversation with Sarah to acknowledge and thank our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at Verant, the customer engagement company. Verant helps some of the world's most iconic brands build enduring customer relationships by connecting work, data, and experiences across the enterprise. What's more, Verant shares the same customer obsession we have here at Customerland. Over the past three years, Verant has conducted research that identified a chasm that exists between what organizations know they need to do to meet rising customer expectations and the resources they have to actually do it. It's called the engagement capacity gap. To help bridge that gap, Verant empowers businesses to effectively listen to customers, analyze both strategic and individual level data, act to engage customers, and deliver differentiated experiences at scale. Recently recognized by industry analysts for their innovation and platform capabilities, Verant offers proven solutions that organizations need to deliver exceptional and unique customer experiences. Ready to close the engagement capacity gap at your business? You can learn more at Verant.com. 
That's V-E-R-I-N-T dot com. I'm looking for the data here because this was wild. Uh, here we go. When it comes to uh, when it comes to frequency of engagement, a whopping sixty one percent of retailers surveyed believe their customers want to hear from them multiple times a week. In reality, only thirty one percent of consumers agree, with the majority preferring to be contacted once a week or less, if at all. Yeah, that that. I mean, so is it so? I'm a marketer. I've worked for some fairly large brands. You do this all day long. Um, there's a, I'm trying to say this without sounding pejorative uh, about my marketing colleagues, but you know, there, it seems like if you don't have the technology to, uh, to reach people in the moment where they are, when they want to be spoken to and how they want to be um, addressed, then it's a lot easier to, to just uh, basically um, apologize afterward. And, and that seems to be what a lot of marketers are opting for, because, you know, achieving that kind of personalization is, is, as you said, difficult. It's difficult, but it's also not insurmountable. And I think it's so it comes back to some other research, actually, that we did. And actually, I think you and I spoke about NRF as well, that we did with Forrester. And it's all around customer obsession. And which I love. I love that phrase, customer obsession. And it talks about the differences between all companies will say they they're looking to they have a great customer experience right they think about cx there's a difference between cx and customer obsession and customer obsession is really about taking the customer and making it the center of your business in all aspects not just the commerce or the marketing the strategy the way you're thinking your operations everything you do centers around the customer this customer becomes the center of gravity and a surprisingly few number of organizations, when you go through the que a questionnaire and talk about what they're doing, actually genuinely qualify as that. But what's really interesting is the ones that do are also interestingly far more likely to have a successful omni-channel strategy. Imagine they, my surprise. They've they've made the connect. They have they have absolutely committed to that fundamental connection of how do we need to really obsess about our customers. And they're 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 making that part of what they do, and then it it makes that other if you like if you if we want to create a triangle with you know obsession and and personalization, you get loyalty, because that's what drives loyalty. You are communicating with people the way they want to be communicated with, when they want to be communicated with, how they want to be communicated at the frequency they want to be communicated with, and that's what drives real brand loyalty and the index that you were talking about that we came out with talked about the different kinds of loyalty in there and i, I we had you i'm sure we can we can put up a slide or something if you want to that shows it but what was really interesting to me was that in a year where there's so much economic pressure on consumers you would think that where consumers are going not unreasonably would be where the, wherever the deals were and that that's the kind of loyalty that would be the loyalty that is is on the rise and it wasn't it was real true brand loyalty that was on the on the rise, which said that that was that was one upping that need for necessarily the cheapest price for the cheapest item. Now, I'm sure people are also looking at that. I don't want to suggest they're not. That would be foolish. Sure, but that, that tends to be more of a category by category thing. But in certain categories, if you're if you're loyal to a brand, um, we've seen data that proves that there's going to have to be a pretty big shift in value change in the, the perceived values 
in order for a customer to leave that loyal brand that they love because they've they've somehow they've rewired their relationship to that brand to go well beyond what it costs them in in dollars and cents exactly so um we may have mentioned this i can't even remember but you brought up an interesting topic that there are very few companies who have who have figured out that they want to and need to genuinely put the customer at the center of their business and you know we have kind of an inside snicker here at the customer when we see companies describe themselves as customer centric it's like of course you do you have to say that um but but what does that really look like in reality um and so we did a study, this is about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, just to see what this would dredge up here. And we looked at um, the Fortune 50 and we went through all their 10 Qs and 10 Ks. And we were looking for mentions of customer centricity or CX or chief customer officer or any of those kinds of keywords or ideas that would indicate that customer centricity is something more than just a buzzword of the moment that they're really doing something about it. And no, it's not very scientific and there's a lot of play in there, but it was remarkable. It came out to somewhere around 10% of the companies in the Fortune 50 that actually looked like they were doing something about it. Um, and you had to be pretty subjective about, about looking through that. But that's a really small number for something that I think as marketers, we kind of get intuitively. This is just how it has to be. So my question is, there was a question at the end of all that. Um, is how do you find those people? How do you identify them? How do you, is it, is it something that Amarsis kind of grows and shapes these people into companies like that? Or do you look for them specifically? I think that's probably a little bit of both. I mean, realistically, I think um, companies that are thinking about, you know, these things as imperatives that are thinking about how they communicate are thinking about the customer communication, that engagement constantly that are that for per them personalization, for example, is an imperative. Loyalty is an imperative. They're going to naturally be talking to somebody like us because they're going to understand that we are an important piece of the puzzle. But it's also fair to say we're only a piece of that puzzle, right? And there's a bigger, and it's not just having the marketer or your chief digital officer or your head of commerce bought into it. When I say that real customer obsession, it's, it's that strategy, right? It's that your it's it's that your CEO and your board are are bought into this, and your company is genuinely thinking about this as a center of gravity and that's where that is what you rotate around and when you look at your kpis they're not they're not excuses they're not they're actually about the customer they're not things that are actually really about you as a company and when you start to see that then you start to see the impact i think it also doesn't hurt that when you companies invest in some in a platform like an Amarsis, they hopefully start to see the results right they're starting to think in a different way act in a different way engage in a different way with their with their consumers and they see the benefits of that and start to see right. right that that strategy isn't just altruistic it does actually impact the bottom line and hopefully they are becoming a center of gravity within their within whatever products or world they're in and their competitors may well see that they're starting to lose consumers, lose that person who puts the product into Google Shopping and clicks on the whatever vendor is offering it for the least price, regardless of what vendor that is, versus the person that has, you know, that has the the store app on their phone that just automatically when they want to buy X goes back and reorders it and picks up something else at the same time. Um, 
So, so if you're listening to this, you, you probably get by now that Sarah and I could talk about this stuff passionately for hours and hours and hours. And, and we're well on our way to doing that, but for the sake <laughs> of people listening and, and your schedules. Um, so one other data point in your report, um, according to the research, the vast majority, 82% of retailers surveyed always review customer feedback in full and make adjustments accordingly. And I thought that was a pretty big number because I fit squarely into the other group that says, however, only 30% of customers think that retailers really review the feedback provided with 16% believing, although their feedback is read, no real changes are made. So, I mean, I don't know that the Amarsis platform, because even as sophisticated as it is, can address that consumer perception that retailers don't really care. They care about my dollar and my transaction, and but they're not really going to listen to my either comments or criticisms. Um, and yet, I mean, I'm, I'll bear witness. Um, every company that I've worked with in that realm pays really, really strong attention to consumer feedback, especially the negative ones. It's not to say that it, it, it automates a change. You know, you're not going to necessarily mean a um, put a course correct in effect because of one or two comments, but but companies generally want to hear this stuff. I think they do. And I think most companies, they do care and they they do, they're listening a lot more than consumers necessarily realize. But I think the actions always speak louder than words, right? That That, that is true across, across the board in our lives and in many other realms. But I think also much of what, consumers are talking about often isn't an isolated incident, right? They're talking about the approach to them as a customer, and they're talking about the exp overall experience. They may have chosen to leave a review about XYZ product or XYZ interaction, or there's a bad delivery experience or whatever the thing is, and maybe they've even left several. But what they tend to, I think, be reacting to is the bigger thing. Do they feel valued? Do they feel valued by that? company, that brand? Do they feel that their business makes them, by more than just, I spent $9.99 on hairspray? It, right, it, right. It's more than that. Do you value me? So when I interact with you, however I'm interacting with you, whenever I'm interacting with you, is is there that sense of engagement? Is it, pers is it a personalized engagement? Does it happen at the right, all those things we spoke about a few minutes ago, does it happen at the right cadence? Is the content things that I want to consume, you know, that's don't bombard me with offers for products that you should know I'm not interested in. Or, you know, don't bombard me with an offer on Wednesday for a 500 milliliter can of hairspray when you know I bought one at, you know, nine o'clock last night. <laughs> a... I hate when that happens. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that. I know how you are about your hairspray. Right, yeah, I know. <laughs> No comments. That's why we're doing this as a podcast. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Um, you know, but but I think there's probably a strong case to be made too that if there's one customer who felt strongly enough about the situation to comment, that there's probably a whole iceberg underneath that one customer of dissatisfaction, and you know, and that that I think is why a lot of these companies don't look at the one complaint as one isolated incident, because there's probably more to it than that. The other thing that occurred to me just as we were just chit-chatting here is that um, the resistance that I've seen 
that that companies would would see this and and kind of look away from it there are two phenomena i've seen i'd be interested in yours one is they just can't get to it because everybody's running hard and fast and oh man that slipped through the cracks and i'll fix it but i gotta run over here real quick um that's one phenomenon and the other is that um i've only seen this a couple times but i have seen it is that in middle management somebody's charged with reviewing uh and uh collecting these kinds of comments and if your bonus or whatever it happens to be is measured on CSAT scores or NPS, and you've got to deliver something that's going to go contrary to that, there's a little bit of resistance to be like, oh, wait, you know, oh, doggone it, I can't get to that right now. I will focus on this other stuff. <laughs> so. so, yes, actually, I'll tie that back to something we were talking about earlier. Sorry to be boring. That's, that's, that means that company isn't truly customer obsessed because the KPIs are not motivating people to think about that customer or that group of customers in a way that's actually productive, both for the customer and the company. It's a clash, which yeah. means that they're not, they may be worrying about the customer experience, which I'm sure they are, because I think most companies do, and I, I truly believe most companies do, but it's not the center of gravity. It has KPIs that send people off into other directions that don't fix problems with the customer. Yeah. Yeah. And don't give that, don't give them that sense. Don't give them that sense that they are that important, that they are that valued. They're not acting on it and thinking about it that way. They're worrying about exactly what you said. And it's it's an opportunity to look at those KPIs around the customer and say, are they the right ones? They may be the traditional ones, maybe the ones we've used for however many years, but is that really driving the right behavior and allowing us to take that customer relation, those customer relationships to the next level? I think that's a valid question to ask. Mm -hmm.